0: So, have you ever thought about a business that has a really big creative component where maybe the owner has some really strong relationships with clients that are important to the business? Today, we're going to be talking about buying and selling advertising agencies. Hey, everyone, it's David Barnett from davidcbarnett.com, the blog site, YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify podcast, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium sized enterprises. And today, We're joined with David Bloy, who is an M&A advisor in London, UK. David and I were introduced by a mutual friend on the internet, and I wanted to have David on the show when I learned that his business brokerage office exclusively helps people in the marketing and advertising agency world, helping those people buy and sell. And I wanted to talk with him about some of the particular challenges for that kind of business. David, how are you doing today? All very well, thanks, David. Yeah, nice to uh, talk to you. Great. Uh, can you give us a little bit of background and tell us how it is you came to, to be in the M&A world and, and how you found yourself in this particular niche?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I originally started as a trained as an accountant, which I thought was a, an interesting way to learn about business because I was always fascinated by business. And I worked for a large group called Reed Elsevier in jobs financial jobs all over the world after I qualified. And uh, also, there were a lot of business positions, so I, I also qualified in, as a member of the Chartered Institute of Marketing, which gave me a more balanced view. And I finished up after, it's almost a world tour, in corporate finance in uh, at the, at the head office of Reed, doing deals. And um, at the time, there was a big movement. This was in the early 90s, shareholder value, which I, which really meant doing everything in the interests of the shareholders. And uh, it wasn't particularly my, um, and this was in the recession, and it's something I didn't quite believe in. So I, I wanted to join a business that really valued people, and I wanted to find a growing market. So I ended up uh, working with Sarch & Sarchi as commercial director for their East European regions, but based out of uh, Budapest. Which was uh, a, a an in, sort of an interesting uh, baptism of fire in the agency world.
0: Well, and uh, that, and that's a big agency that people have heard of, right? Correct. And, yeah, and these guys handle accounts for some of the, the big big companies in the world.
1: Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So that gave me a great uh, background in that in that field, and then uh, I came back to the UK and joined a corporate finance firm that uh, does uh, M and A. It was fo- called Results. It was focused on uh, marketing communications at the time and stayed with them for about 15 years doing helping them with their international work and as well as deals in the UK and then I uh, started my own business M&A Advisory about 10 years ago and we've got a team now of about six of us who are uh, just focused on uh, that sector which is which has been really interesting interesting time last year we, we completed about eight, eight deals in that sector
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And, and so what, what do you think are some of the things that, that make the advertising and marketing agency world really, I mean, I mentioned a couple of things, but what makes them really different from a lot of the other businesses out there?
1: I think in terms of, of deals, I mean, obviously it's, it's a very, you could say a fragile, businesses are quite fragile because their only asset is their people. So, um, and there's not too much in the way of IP. I mean, some of that's changing now with a lot of these tech agencies, but, um, you know, you have to value that people component. Uh, a lot of the creativity comes from, comes from people. So in doing deals, you have to take into account those, those uh, some of the feelings and the chemistry and the culture, which I'm you know, happy to talk about in a bit more, in more detail, how we, how we do the deals. But that, that's something that's unique about it.
0: Well, and I also get the impression that a lot of agencies would probably have some very significant accounts, uh, and and so you would also face uh, maybe fears from a buyer of of customer concentration.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, and in, from an m and a perspective, generally about if a customer concentration is is okay as long as it's below about twenty percent of total revenue. So you wouldn't want much more than twenty percent of your revenue. Um, with one client in, and that 's in an ideal world, um, but but it is possible to sell businesses with a, with a much higher concentration than that
0: and and so you know we had talked a little bit a little bit uh, before the interview about about some of these uh, some of these topics. Um, what do you think are some of the key components then that make for a successful transaction? Uh, because clearly they 're not just looking at numbers. Right. Yeah, a-
1: a- absolutely. And uh, you, know, you could say almost in, in any deal, we almost look at numbers uh, last or at a later stage. Um, I find it really important that to, have, to get a really successful deal, you have to have three elements um, in, that, in that deal. The first is, is a, when the, the parties meet for the first time, you need to have a really good chemistry between them. They, they, there must be that feeling of being able to get on. And and if you haven't got that initially, you're unlikely to have it during a very kind of tough earnout period of when they've got to work together with all the Mm -hmm. pressures of clients and everything else. And and the second thing, the second ingredient, which I would say is is really important, is is an aligned culture. And by culture, I mean not so much in the geographic sense, but much more the way we do things around here, a a kind of a style and approach to work is, is really important. And, and thirdly, um, that's what, what's really compelling is, a, is an outstanding business proposition. So when the, when the two parties sit together and they say, right, how will we look post deal? That's, that's something that um, you know, should be quite outstanding. There should be a number of, number of synergies. I've, I've recently, um, there's been, a, on my website, there's a video of um, a company uh, called DPC, and um, they were bought by a global business, uh, Swedish business called Up, and DPC had a very outsourced method of working, and Up had a similar method of working, although they work globally. So there was a, a fantastic, the chemistry of the guys, if you, you can see from the video, that they get on really well, even down to the black T-shirts, and the two Ronnies sign off at the end, but, um, they, they get on really well. You can see the chemistry. You can see the way and style of working absolutely fits. And they've got an outstanding business proposition because they will both be able to use each other on their various clients to a, to a strong degree. So those things must be really present and, and we focus on those. And, of course, the other vital ingredient is to have a, a very strongly and carefully negotiated and documented commercial terms between the two mm. parties, which is, again, where we, where we come in.
0: So, I mean, you've already mentioned a couple of different examples and we we're talking about an advertising agency being sold to another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, would that probably characterize the vast majority of the deals? Are you selling to any individuals or financial buyers or is it always almost always a strategic acquisition?
1: Um, we do. it. Financial buyers do uh, enter this, this market. Um, it's not always been, um, we generally find that trade buyers are probably the best because of the synergies. You know, a financial mm-hmm. buyer will only really bring money to the equation, whereas a trade buyer can bring, you know, there's often reasons for doing a deal. So a trade buyer might bring, a, you know, if somebody wanted an office in New York or a, a global network to, to plug into, or they wanted a particular um, skill set, then that's there with a trade buyer, uh, and so there's a combination of money and and a number of other syner- synergistic benefits as well.
0: Would would you say that some of the businesses that are out there acquiring other agencies, um, do they see this as an alternative to sales? You know, because I mean they can try to win accounts, or they can go and grow through acquisition. Sure. The 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 people that are doing the deals to on the buying side is this one of the things they've realized is probably maybe even a quicker and easier way to to grow their business.
1: Yeah, sure. I think you need to once you get beyond a certain size, you need to think about both Um, organic organic uh, growth is a tough is a tough route, and I think a lot of uh, agencies find that um, growing the organic way is is a fairly slow way and and a hard way. Um, but nevertheless, it's important to, to also grow organically. Um, but by growing at, by acquisition, you know, sometimes you want want to bolt on a new skill set, or a new or a new geography, mm. um, or a new technology onto your business to to perhaps wrap yourselves more around your clients, and that has to be done sometimes quite quickly. Um, so um, that that's uh, uh, that's that's a reason for doing doing growing by acquisition for sure.
0: In your in your example, where it was the Scandinavian company that was that was the purchaser, sure. Um, you know, in the time we've known each other, in the few conversations we've had, mm. we've been talking a lot about cross border deals. Mm-hmm. Is is that? pretty regular for your particular shop that a lot of these things are happening across different boundaries, uh, borders in different countries? Sure,
1: yeah, I mean, we set ourselves up as sector specific, but um, size and, and geography agnostic, really. We, 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 we work uh, across a, a lot of borders. There's, there's quite a big demand for businesses in other countries. I mean, it, it follows their clients, really. People get, tend to follow their clients. And if a client wants you to open up in China, uh, and do what you've done for them in London or New York in China, then you've almost got to go out to China and uh, set up shop, and uh, and that's often that often drives these things. Or or you've got a unique, quite a unique proposition that you know you know you know you can grow the business. So why not grow it in a new geographic market? And rather than go in with a complete startup, you might find a business that does something similar that you can improve in that market. So uh, yeah, these these are all the things that drive the M&A process.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um you mentioned terms and earnout just a few minutes ago. Yeah. And th- so that's something I'd like to I'd like to hit on because hmm. in every deal I've ever worked on where there were significant goodwill links between the seller and the clientele the buyer of course is always concerned that that goodwill won't necessarily be transferred over to the new ownership and then sure. it usually ends up involving the the seller having to stick around. Yeah. And I would imagine that this is a big component of your deals too. I'm wondering if you might speak a little bit to that.
1: Yes, it, it is. Um generally um earnouts are very very common in these sort of deals. There's sort of an a, a, an element of cash up front on on the deal and then uh, perhaps a couple of years earnout. I would always tend to advise my clients to not go beyond a couple of years um, for an earnout. There's some buyers there that are offering five-year earnouts and things like that, but I would generally advise my clients to, to stick down with with a couple of years. And, and a couple of years should give you plenty of time to inter- integrate a, a business. Um, there's, there's also a, an advantage of earnouts, really, because you know the up the upfront payment gen- generally is uh, based on current or past or current profits, but the nice thing about the earnout is is based on future profits, and that mm-hmm. can include sometimes some of the synergies that you're going to get get from the buyer. So a seller can actually do do very well on an earnout when it runs well. Perhaps um, 50% of the consideration will be up 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 front of the sort of initial consideration. But on the total consideration, you can probably earn about 70% of that on the earn out. So you can get that uplift if, if that makes makes sense.
0: Well, it, it, it does, and I just wanna make sure that everyone is clear who's listening or watching is that oftentimes when we sell a business, uh, there may be a seller financing component, but, but that's a debt. And so it's, it's clearly defined, this is the amount of money owed and maybe the payments take place over several years, for example and what makes it different with an earnout is that the seller is actually retaining some kind of interest in the performance of the business so if things go up or down it's going to affect ultimately how much money that seller is going to achieve mm. and what you know the, the whole idea behind it is so that that seller is going to work to the best of their ability to help the the relationships move over to the new owner but what i i, I think is interesting is that it really does give the seller a motivation to pick the right acquirer so that they can understand, they can see, yeah, these are the people who are going to execute and actually help my business grow beyond what it has been because of course that's where the gravy comes from, right? Correct. That's absolutely right. Additional, yeah. uh, absolutely right.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. That, that is where the gravy comes from. And then it also goes back to, to my earlier point about that's where you need those three vital ingredients, which are good chemistry between the parties, a, a strong, cultural match, and a really an outstanding business proposition. And if they're there, the chances are you'll get a successful deal and a, and a fantastic earn out.
0: So if someone's in a business in this industry or in any other business where you know, the owner is the primary contact for the biggest accounts, and they're worried about this kind of personal versus corporate goodwill mm-hmm. issue coming up, I mean, what are some of the things that you've observed help buyers become less anxious about this?
1: sure okay um i think one of the first things a buyer can a seller can develop is um a a good second tier management that 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 is ideal because often buyers expect ultimately in the long run that the 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 seller might actually leave the organization because he's Mm -hmm. selling his business therefore he may one day leave so if you have a, a good second tier management there then um that, that's that's the number one, and that makes it easier to sell and you'll probably sell for a for a premium you know if, that, if that's available. If it's not available, you you probably have to start you, you pro, that's maybe our job is to find a buyer that has the necessary management uh, depth to actually take on that and transition those relationships. So that that that's possible too um and a, and a third option is is perhaps to appoint a new ceo during the earnout if a deal is constructed in, in such a way but by 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 far the first thing uh is to is to have a good second tier management that really helps
0: so that the customers aren't just dealing with that primary individual they Correct. they know yeah. other people in the office yeah
1: exactly yeah
0: um so you know most businesses are are valued on a multiple of their cash flow. is that consistent with the advertising business?
1: Yes, it is pretty much i mean generally um, that you would the um, you would use uh, profits as a as a another measure of cash flow um, what what you 're paid for is generally a, mul- a multiple there 's a range of um, multiples depending on the quality of the business uh, for for different types of business and then you have um, How that can vary in terms of value is is premium and discount factors such as having a good quality management, second tier management team, good systems and procedures in place, some quality blue chip clients. And on the negative side, you might have the opposite of that perhaps with um, low profit margins, a single client as you mentioned, very heavy client concentration, um, or or a very weak positioning. So there's there's variations in that. in terms of the adjustment to cash flow, you get uh, you are paid um, for any excess cash in the balance sheet. so that that's also quite an interesting um, something in terms of if you're preparing an agency for sale. it's important to try and maximize your and optimize your operating cash flow. So I would say to an agency that what you should try and do is make um, is generate about eighty five percent of your operating profits in cash so your operating cash flow should be about 85% plus of your operating profits so don't give too too many extended credit terms to uh, to your clients if if you can avoid it
0: right you, you you want to manage the cash flow you want to you want to shorten up those receivables as much correct.
1: as possible correct yeah
0: and so your comment about the surplus cash being added to the purchase price uh, you're in the UK, so a lot of the transactions you're doing are probably going to be share purchase deals.
1: Yes, they are mostly. Right. Yeah.
0: And and in the UK, business owners have quite a tax advantage in doing the share deal.
1: Correct. Yeah, they okay. do at the moment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I I just I just wanted to make that comment because yeah. you know the the viewership is well diversified internationally, and so um, you know transactions, particularly in the US, tend to be asset based. Which, yeah. which means the seller hangs on to the cash a lot of the time. Well,
1: um, yeah, that, that's true. The, on, the only thing I'd say about that is the one advantage of, of also of, from a practical perspective of um, buying, buying the shares is that often there are a lot of contracts vested with the clients with, a, with an agency type business.
0: And they're so, all still there, yeah.
1: Yeah, so if you, if you do an asset sale, the chance is you've almost got to have new contracts in the name of a a second company so it's uh, it can be a bit tricky negotiating with clients on that basis
0: okay you mentioned about the different kinds of agencies can you give us an idea of what the sort of varieties are like is it is it the in the media they're using or whether they're doing sort of creative work or not can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yes I mean you've got um, all, all sorts you've got I mean PR consultancies obviously the public relations um, agencies you've got um, digital agencies which are have been you know probably come about since the early 2000s that focus mainly online but still do quite a lot of creative work but you know we, we cover things like there's a lot of subsections now in that whole digital arena you've got SEO PPC agencies that you know focus on search you've got UX you've got web design and build all of those sorts of businesses, um, so we, we cover generally the, the whole the whole gambit, and um, I think the you know probably in the last fifteen twenty years the whole uh, marketing communications world has fragmented quite a lot, so you have lots and lots of specialists developing in, in each, each individual uh, area you know for example, there are sort of global SEO specialists and um, those those sorts of things now so um
0: Well, okay, so so it's interesting that you have these different flavors. Would you say that the the market for these types of business often is based upon people trying to build the full suite of services for themselves? Like, how how is the market right now? What are there certain flavors of agencies that have a greater demand, for instance?
1: Yes, I mean, you you know, doing my job, you you speak to a lot of people, and you you often hear a recurring theme: people. So I suppose right now, um, B2B agencies are of interest to people. They, that, that seems a very interesting area. It, it's, it was once considered a slightly less glamorous part mm. of marketing. But I think um, agency owners have realized that B2B can be a little bit more sticky. Um, you know, it's uh, whereas FMCG business can, you know, uh, be much less sticky. So that, that's an advantage. What is
0: FMCG? Uh,
1: so consumer, B2C, consumer okay. marketing. Uh, that, that can actually, you know, uh, they, they have more of a change in marketing directors and there's more agency churn um, on that on that basis um, Yeah, uh, what else the data um, that's very much uh, to the fore data agencies there's um, Digital agencies of all forms are I have a very good market always a very good demand for, for digital agencies geographically I guess from the UK, perhaps with Brexit, but um, North America is is uh, a lot of interest in, um, in agencies in, in the UK, finding um, mm. uh, agencies to acquire in, in, the, in America and, and North America generally.
0: Okay. And so would would you say that a lot of these are, are agencies that want to grow across the ocean um, for the first time, or are they already doing business in both countries and still looking to acquire on both sides?
1: I think it depends on, on on the on the type of buyer. I mean, there I was speaking with an agency the, other, the agency group the other day that that had several smaller um, pockets, uh, smaller agencies in the in the US. I think they had, you know, some uh, West Coast and one in the East Coast, but they wanted to expand on those significantly. They felt the US was a was a great market, and and wanted to build, you know, get those right. The size of those agencies is equivalent to the the size of, um, of their UK business and, you know, and and other buyers there, um, I I literally, I was speaking to again, a a buyer the other day, and they've been very, very successful in the UK. And that the next job for them is, is to find, um, a a nice agency in the U S so that will be their first foray into the U S. So it just depends.
0: So, I mean, you, you use the B word, um, what What do you think is going to happen as far as brexit
1: i I guess, look, in business you have to be positive. Um, you know the The agency world is made up a lot of entrepreneurs and, and entrepreneurs you know I've been in this business a long time, and you, you see people you know. For instance, when I was in Eastern Europe, there was there was wars going on out there, and yet there were agencies emerging. There was guys having running quite successful agency groups, um, despite the the, the Bosnia- Bosnian war uh, in that part of the world. And and if they can do that, then you know Brexit should be pretty easy. I think you know they'll find a way.
0: Do you think that there may be some business some agencies right now in the UK serving clients throughout the EU that will find that they need to set up another office or maybe acquire someone on, uh, you know, in the continent to carry on?
1: Uh, that, that, that's a possibility, although I, I think the, um, there is a, it, it's, it's possible for, to trade, even if we, you know, obviously as we've just left the EU, I do believe a lot of companies trade, can trade with, with Europe. On an agency on a service basis, without any um, without any any problem, you know. Right. So I, I think there's a lot of I, I I meet a lot of agencies that have clients in Europe, and they don't seem to be that affected. I think where the issue is um, with Brexit is probably if you're more a manufacturing business, sure, uh, and that they may have to uh, have an office, or and, and also financial services, I think, may well have to have a, um, an office in Europe. This the passporting issue. Mm.
0: David um, thank you. it's been a very interesting conversation uh, I want to say thank you I mean, if people want to find you online and connect with you what, what's the easiest way for them to reach out
1: yes um I'm on LinkedIn David Bloys um and our website is mndadvisory.com and uh my email address is davidb at But uh, yeah, probably LinkedIn is probably a very easy, easy place to find me. Uh, and uh, I look forward to talking, talking to anyone who'd, uh, who'd like to.
0: Awesome. And, and that, I'd like to remind everyone out there that if you enjoyed interviews like the one I just did with David and you don't ever want to miss one, uh, be sure to sign up for my email list. If you head over to davidcbarnett.com, there's a form on the left-hand side. You can fill in the topics you're interested in. And I'll send you out emails all the time about things that uh, are relevant. And uh, one of those things you can check off is the weekly new video digest, which would mean that you would never miss another interview like this one. And with that, we'll say thank you and we'll see you later, David. Thank you
1: very much indeed, David. Much appreciated. All All right. Bye-bye.